expected to get another million of funding, which was part of the verbal commitment if we hit certain targets. Instead, the proverbial rug was pulled under our feet and we were left like basically, you know, either pack up and go home or make a fight of this. So uh, thankfully, we uh, were stubborn enough to think that uh, something will come out of this. So welcome to Outliers. Thank uh, you. Deep, uh, this is a podcast with outliers. I have always considered you an outlier for good reasons, clearly. Uh, I started my career in 2000 and since then uh, there were very few names uh, I kept hearing about uh, who were building internet businesses in India. So you're clearly an early mover and uh, have seen your own cycles. And you have watched uh, a lot of these new age internet companies uh, take birth the entrepreneurs and uh, that's why I was always very keen to have this conversation with you so um, you know I mean uh, Deep Kalra is uh, founder of Make My Trip and uh, someone who has watched India's internet economy really close Uh, welcome uh, Deep to Outliers yeah thanks a lot Pankaj so ironically we have uh, another very interesting thing in common you started your career in 2000 I started Make My Trip in 2000 <laughs> I had worked 8 years before that but Make My Trip is 17 years old which is yeah I mean even I am surprised because I still I still think we are perhaps a little uh, mature or seasoned startup but I still think we have a lot of goodness of a startup which is very important in our sector but it doesn't seem like 17 years seems like a long time. But when I look back, uh, the journey seems about half that to me. So even 10 seems long to me. So I think that's the, you know, like they say, a dog's life. Uh, it's one is to seven to a person's, to a human being's life. I, I think a startup's life also, uh, things move very fast. Uh, but uh, if you keep yourself, I think, um, agile, uh, alive, and your thinking and your decision making and your execution is still quick which is critical for a startup, mm. uh, then, uh, you know, you'll think like you've been around much shorter, which is a good thing. <laughs> State of mind. Yeah, clearly it is. Um, just to kick this off, Deep, uh, if, we were, if you were to look back at 17 years of make, building Make My Trip, uh, can you pick one or two or three milestones uh, in your journey that also reflect the journey of India's internet? And, and then we can get into some more specific questions about the landscape. Sure, sure. No, I think some of them definitely stand out. So we had a pretty interesting start and a very tumultuous uh, next few years. So the start was fairy tale like There were very few businesses uh, on online in India at that point of time. This is 2000. As you know, dot-com bust probably hit Indian shores by about 2000. Apparently, we were one of the last few businesses to get funded. So I got early stage funding from eVentures which folded up themselves within a year and got two million, which was a lot of money back then. Probably that two million dollars today is uh, equivalent to probably more than 20, might even be equivalent to uh, 40 million. So I think it's about 20x for sure. Sure. That's the value as you hear, you don't even hear two million now people get, uh, you know, uh, uh, on a business plan and people say really that won't last too long. So things have changed, like uh, industries of course matured. So I think our, our toughest period hit us when our early stage investor eVentures, they had to pull out. Ironically, their limited partners were SoftBank, Masa himself, and News Corp. So I, when I met Masa, uh, 
uh, this time around i reminded him that he had actually invested in the company way back then so for me i think the buyback at that point of time there was a management buyback led by me and a couple of my colleagues uh, who later became co-founders i wasn't heard of that time but it was too early we believed we were doing the right thing it was just a year we were on track for everything and we expected to get another million of funding which was part of the verbal commitment if we hit certain targets instead the proverbial rug was pulled under our feet and we were left like basically you know either pack up and go home or make a fight of this so uh, thankfully we uh, were stubborn enough to think that uh, something will come out of this so we decided to make a fight of it we bought back our uh, investors equity and we became this really 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 bootstrap like i can tell you what bootstrap is like because for the next 2 to 3 years um, uh, no salary was taken by me uh, the next two guys took deep deep cuts in in salary we shrunk to a tiny mezzanine office where uh, from a team of i think we were 42 and overnight we went to almost half that size to 24 so we cut costs wherever we could but the idea was to survive and to keep growing little 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 we obviously had no money then to spend on marketing uh, and i think when i look back those were our defining years really defining because when you subsist just like i'm sure your own uh, startup is doing on your own conviction and your own money that's when you really the rubber hits the road right and then you say listen i have an opportunity cost i'm well qualified so are some of my colleagues and most of them can get another job but we still believe this is the right thing to do and we're not getting paid market we're not even getting paid you know so that i think is the true time and so i think all entrepreneurs who go through that and i'm not saying it's a must you're lucky if you don't need to but i think most people go through tough times like you know several indian entrepreneurs who've gone through that the conviction that you have in your business and when you come out of it because it's really a tsunami and when you come out of it the belief and the self confidence you have is of a totally different order you just cannot uh, replicate or simulate that that's that's not possible you have to go through that trial by fire so i think that period of 2001 to 2004 almost 3 years was trial by fire and then your belief and self confidence just uh, gets made that listen a you can survive this be you're moving in the right direction and see therefore you can take on anything so you know so i think for me that was the biggest milestone for us 2005 i think we came of age where we could take institutional funding all over again all through we said none none of that some angels came by way i think we definitely had a good fortune but i do believe that fortune favors the persistent uh, you keep knocking on uh, doors and you know some door will open i i think luck is just a number so if the chance of uh, luck uh, you know opportunity knocking and something coming your way is 5% then you better knock on 20 doors before you give up True. because otherwise it won't happen and i think people give up too early i've always said i think some of the best businesses did not see light of day because the entrepreneur gave up too early and that happens you know winter comes and people feel hey i, I don't think we can take this you panic and it's very natural because uh, the rational side of your brain will tell you are you crazy your opportunity cost is you know x lakhs a month or uh, x crores a year because that's what you could earn out in the market why are you doing this does it even make sense why are you giving up 2 3 4 years uh, most people don't think that listen i if i give this up it's highly unlikely that i will have the courage to do another startup that's highly unlikely very few people and hats off to those guys who might not succeed i'd rather use that term and fail because i think you learn a lot through that experience 
will say bruise battered but guess what i'm going to try one more mm. it doesn't happen due to circumstances also as you get older you have more responsibilities uh then you feel hey it's not just me but i'm going to put someone else through yeah. some degree of sacrifice yeah. and that's the reality of life yeah. so i think uh biggest learning for me and i'd like to share with all young entrepreneurs is don't give up too early it's perfectly okay to pivot to tweak to do anything but don't give up too early so when you start a new business and i've told many of my ex colleagues when they've left here and they said we want to turn entrepreneur what what would you tell us i said only one thing i tell you is don't look in the rearview mirror too soon no great business can be built overnight in india silicon valley works at 2x 3x or even 4x the speed so does china but most people compare it with stories from silicon valley in india i think it takes minimum 7 to 10 years to build a great business it doesn't happen less than that things are changing things are becoming faster the mobile the ecosystem spurred by mobile and digital payments is definitely growing maybe 7 then but i don't think people who expect to see uh, uh, you know something tangible and great come out in 2 years are smoking pot yeah it's not going to happen uh, it's just you are being very unrealistic uh, you know give it at least 4 5 years to come to show you that there's something so when you get into this please have the mindset of a marathon runner mm-hmm. and not a sprinter mm-hmm. uh i don't think there's been any great business built in india in two years i mean i i don't know <laughs> uh the best of businesses if you see something like infosys yeah. took a long time yeah. you hear murthy and nandan's <clears throat> story and it's for me it still gives me goosebumps yeah. it's one of the most inspirational stories because i i i really believe that was the first indian startup in the new age and the culture that they built etc has uh, inspired many definitely inspired me that that's the kind of company to build and it's also proven that the company has survived the founders very few companies yeah. do that it's an and it takes a long time it's an institution yeah. but it took a couple of decades yeah. uh for it to reach that level of maturity and that means they built up such beautiful processes systems um <clears throat> you know uh, culture people or that it could now go on its own and attract the best of talent and compete with the best in the world mm-hmm. so i i i i think give yourself enough time next milestone i think for us clearly must have been which would be our ipo yeah. so i think our ipo was uh, phenomenal uh, by any um, uh, you know yardstick and i i don't say that with immodesty don't get me wrong why it was it was very very unique and different uh, we were the first internet company uh, to go out and list actually no i stand corrected redif did that first and yes. full credit to ajit who was yes. before his time again very inspirational for me Uh, and also very educative because i also realized what can happen to a company so for me redif was inspirational and then what happened to redif is actually there's a lot to learn because if you take your eye off the ball and uh, you know and you're not evolving all the time you can uh, you know be just completely rendered uh, irrelevant yeah. and that's what happened to them which is very sad but ajit personally i think he's just a phenomenal guy i learn a lot from what he's done he's written a beautiful book uh, wave runner and it's worth reading so uh, for us the ipo on nasdaq uh, was special because most indian companies were not thinking ipo and if they were thinking ipo they were typically thinking indian most people told us we are crazy uh, to even attempt an ipo in the us because of the level of scrutiny everything else and i think everything that we heard only got rajesh my co-founder was cfo then and me only got us even more enthused to say we can do this and we should do this because a we knew we were squeaky clean we knew our processes are solid uh we knew we had set up a really really uh, uh you know streamlined operation internally there was nothing to hide 
and we also knew that our business model will not get appreciated in india at that point of time because they were the stock market didn't understand the internet model that was the reason we went out we didn't go out for any other reason we went to the us only for one reason that listen right now the indian market is just going to uh, not not understand or appreciate it whereas in the us there were already over 100 new age companies listed mm-hmm. out of which 25 30 were actually out of china so they had already accepted the fact they appreciated the model so it was very easy to compass to an expedia yeah. or at that time a travelocity or a yeah. priceline and a sea trip so really we went out people said okay sea trip china make my trip india we get it big market massive market burgeoning middle class taking off so we get it and i i think we've lived up to that so you know when we listed um, we we were valued at little under uh, half a billion 450 million we listed the stock at 14 bucks we are now uh, probably uh, comfortably above we are guess about 32 bucks and so we've delivered a lot of value and the valuation of the company is in excess of 3 billion so 6x value has been created and uh, a lot of our investors private stage everyone's done brilliantly of course uh, and uh, i'm very thankful to that because they really you know especially safe partners they were our first investor they believed in something which you know most others couldn't see so they took a punt on this young startup and uh, you know a couple of guys who said we're going to do this and they stuck with us till a full journey of actually i think over 11 12 years so finally they sold out completely in 2016 so after 11 years wow and so it got reported uh, i'm only quoting public numbers they made 400 million dollars and I, i said i couldn't wish for that for anyone better because uh, ravi and the fund were just tremendous partners and then even the others he helion sierra and and tiger global they were our four uh, investors in the private stage who were just very very supportive i must say i mean you know they've all been just phenomenal investors and uh, you know i my my faith in investors got restored uh, because of this uh, so there are great investors out there and i think entrepreneurs should be picky and choosy who they get and perhaps our third biggest milestone then was uh, you know earlier this year when we did this pretty big uh, some say audacious merger yeah. with goibibo and redbus and it's really put us in a next orbit so i i i think these three milestones have been uh, if you were to count three uh, the big ones no <clears throat> this story itself is fascinating uh, and i should add one thing each of these milestones especially an ipo and a merger is actually a reset in my mind the analogy is to a base camp mm-hmm. so if you're trying to scale a peak and whether it's everest or whatever these are just base camps you just reset you recharge and then you get ready for the next climb mm-hmm. which is typically even steeper <clears throat> because that's the way the trajectory goes it's mm-hmm. gradual in the beginning you get to the yeah, first base camp and then it gets steeper 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 mm-hmm. so i think that also entrepreneurs should keep in mind should be in line with their aspirations mm-hmm. so i meet uh, really good entrepreneurs and they're saying we want to ipo and i always ask them why and they're saying why do you ask that i said no i want to understand your reason to ipo because is it just uh, uh to get an exit because let me tell you who will get the exit will be the investors as an entrepreneur you might get some partial exit but you are the one who will be responsible because you are also taking money from the public at this valuation whoever you are taking money from now you have to give a return so every time you take an investment it's not an end goal the guy saying i mean invested in you for a purpose so be very mindful of that and if that doesn't is not in tune with what you want mm. then perhaps you're not looking at an exit then you should be look, then you're not looking at an ipo then perhaps you should look at a different kind of exit which could be a sale a trade sale but be very clear 
what do you want? Because I, I, I think it's worth thinking through all of these. Uh, do you want to set, set up a company which is uh, truly durable, mm -hmm. uh, which will last the test of time and perhaps outrun even you, just like, let's say, Infosys? Or do you want to set up a company which you say, no, I'm happy to sell it and move on and do something else? And nothing wrong with that. You know, my friend uh, K. Ganesh, Meena, they're both phenomenal serial entrepreneurs. I always tell them there's no one like you guys in India who can do multiple businesses, set them up to a certain level, sell them, do something else. And they go on and on and on. And that's, that's a unique skill. And, uh, you know, and then some guys are institution builders. So I get inspired by not only Infi, but uh, Sanjeev Bikchandani at, at Nokri. Sanjeev and Hitesh have built this phenomenal company and they go on and on. So we are clearly on that mold. Uh, and uh, that's perfectly okay. You have to do what gives you joy. And uh, so I think that's important. But entrepreneurs should be very truthful to themselves and do a lot of introspection. What really gives me joy and what do I want to do? I think where that mismatch happens, then people end up in a situation, I'm not happy and you hear about these stories of companies imploding because I don't think they actually thought through where they're going. Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, clearly. Um, before we get into uh, the bigger landscape, one of the things I wanted to understand from you is competition. Uh, and I ask that question because uh, there are always these uh, debates about homegrown versus foreign and, and, and all that, right? Uh, now, how was competing for you in, throughout this, this journey? Uh, and, and like... The, the global biggies in, in your sector, for example, or in your business. Uh, what was competition really for you? And, and even today, what is that for you? And how do you compete? That's a very good question because that, that has changed. And I think it's very clear now for the Indian ecosystem that from now on, everyone should be very prepared that no matter what you set up, you're going to have global competition because India is right now the hottest market in the world, relative speaking. Whether things cool down or not out here, you just look at a relative scale. Actually, for the last 10 years, we've been the hottest, barring a few years where everything was bad. But where else will people go? So, you know, sometimes we crib about being in India. I actually think anyone who's in the um, new age sector, perhaps in anything, but definitely in the new age sector, should be grateful that you're in India at this point of time. Because where else would you go? I mean, you know, every other economy, they're scratching their head and they're saying, we're growing at anemic growth rates. China is a different story. China is, of course, also cooled down. But I, I, it's very clear that China is a country which can only be cracked by local Chinese. So, you know, either you're there, which is great. It's really, really hard otherwise. it's much. India is very different. Right from language to rules to uh, policies, everything, we're very open. We, we're probably too open. And I've been saying that we have taken this whole... Uh, Atiti Devo Bhavar to the next level where we have made it even easier for foreigners to come in and compete yeah. out here. So my my uh, uh, crib with the government is that just give us level playing field. Forget, I'm not even remotely saying protectionism. Right now, actually foreign companies have it easier and I can explain why yes. uh, out here because you can circumvent and you can get around a lot of tough laws. But we should be ready for global competition. When I started, uh, our competition was largely local. Uh, we had other homegrown players uh, like Yatra and Clear Trip and uh, various others came and went, Travel sure. Guru, etc. Uh, but not uh, to to you know uh, not too long back. Then we had the foreign players Expedia set up. I think based in India about eight years ago. They've been in the market. Uh, you know, I think they're obviously getting more serious, but they've been watching. 
uh, Priceline, which owns some of the best brands in the world in travel, both Booking.com and Agoda, etc. They're definitely now competing. They have their own offices and they're competing. And it's a global play. So it's it's very simple. Uh, you know, one way or the other, uh, all the MNCs are here. I think we see this fight more um, uh, clearly happening in some of the other sectors. Yeah. So whether it is e-commerce or or it is uh, cab hailing, I yes. think it's more 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 obvious. But you know now our biggest competitors in this market would be uh, Booking.com in the alternate accommodation space, Airbnb, in the from the homegrown markets. Uh, you know uh, perhaps now more so. Uh, Yatra and uh, Paytm's got into travel, so yeah, it's it's a mixed bag, <laughs> but uh, I don't see them actually very differently. Uh, I think uh, I would whether a competitor is global or Indian doesn't really matter. What matters is really the quality of the competitor. Hmm. Well, that's a good good point. Now let me shift gear to uh, you know the other part of the internet landscape hmm. in India, which is e-commerce, and that's where the whole competition thing is. Uh, being talked about in, with a lot more fervor. <clears throat> and I'm asking that question to you because, you, I mean, in, for many reasons, you, you, I mean, in many ways, you are also kind of a statesman of the Indian internet economy. If you look at what's happening in the e-commerce, uh, and, and I think a year and a half ago, I wrote this piece saying that uh, India is going to be Amazon versus Alibaba. Mm. And this is a battleground. This is not... The, the market, I mean, uh, uh, too much is being made out. And, and I remember Sachin also got a little upset. Uh, and what do you make of that battle? Uh, because, mm. I mean, every day, of course, a new chapter is being <laughs> added yeah. or unfolded. Yeah. yeah, no, it's an interesting thing. If you said it uh, a year ago, uh, one and a half uh, years. Kudos yeah. to you. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I actually do believe that uh, uh, Flipkart is a really special company. Mm. Uh, I think it's one of the best Indian new age startups, uh, not because just the valuation they've achieved, that's just an outcome. Sure. Uh, I think uh, they, the, the scale at which they, or rather the speed at which they've managed to scale up is commendable <coughs> and in a very tough business. So what do you remember of them, Deep? Because I think you would I've also have... I've known them for the longest time. Yeah, so that's I've known them when they were just starting up. Actually, I was ironically... Uh, in Bangalore, the day uh, Lee Fixel uh, signed uh, the first term sheet with them for their funding. And, uh, you know, these guys are great. I, I think both Binny and Sachin are fantastic entrepreneurs and they've really built something special. See, it's very easy to pick holes mm -hmm. and to say, oh, but they were better, now they're losing out mm -hmm. and they're doing that. I, I think you've got to step back and see it in perspective. Two young guys, really young guys, both of them very little work experience set up a company and, uh, and took it to a scale which is staggering in a very tough business, low margin business with really tough logistics. Uh, online travel is much easier. We don't have the logistics issue and we have high margin in the hotel and holiday, in the package segment. Our low margin is there. Theirs is tough and what makes it even more creditable is they're competing with perhaps one of the best companies in the world. Amazon is non-trivial. See, you have to look at MNCs which are still being led by their entrepreneurs mm -hmm. very differently. That is a unique, unique one. So when Jeff Bezos, and Travis, I know he's on holiday for a bit, but, <laughs> uh, but when Jeff Bezos, Travis, and um, uh, you know Airbnb guys, when they make up their mind, Brian, that they're going to compete in a market, they put all their might behind it. It's very different from a non-entrepreneur-led company because the entrepreneurs moved on, you're a professional, they say, yeah, and, and you know, maybe Expedia is in that mold today. 
where it's a really solid institution. It's, it's a, a very huge company. Point, yeah. yeah, it's very different. Uh, C-Trip. <laughs> C-Trip has now made it very open that we're going to compete internationally. And, uh, you know, they're going after it hammer and tongs. And out of their four original founders, James is very much there in charge. So I think you've got to look at, so give credit to Flipkart for doing what they're doing. And I think, I you know, they're not going to give up without a really solid fight. So I would beg to differ on your battlefield. Eventually, of course, you might say, yeah, all these games will be fought between two big guys. Okay. You know, eventually that's what's going to happen. But, you know, at what time frame? I actually going to, I, I, I do believe it's a three-way war. Uh, and some consolidations obviously already happened yeah. or happening as we speak. Uh, so clearly Alibaba, Paytm, that's that's aligned out there. Uh, you know, Flipkart is Flipkart. Yes, there's a common big investor now in SoftBank in both these. And then you have Amazon and uh, it's, a, it's a three-way fight and it's not easy to say who's going to win. A, uh, you know, there are pluses for each guy. So while Amazon has the most mature processes and the best rigor and I think excellent standards, uh, I, I don't, uh, I think Flipkart is the most agile and willing to learn and they understand India better than most. And, uh, you know, Alibaba has got the best of probably on the marketplace side. They understand that better than anyone from China and, and all of them have enough capital. So I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Uh, only one winner in the short run, uh, that's the customer. So enjoy it, but uh, but this honeymoon's not going to stay forever from the consumer point of view. Okay, you know, obviously at some point of time, everyone's looking for returns, right? Every investor coming back to that point, how much? So how much money are you going to put in before you look for returns? Some guys have very long vision, and you know it's not very different from uh, what happened when other uh, sector, whether it's FMCG or even capital goods or car manufacturers, when they come into a country, they look at seven-year plans. Hotels look at 10-year plans. So it's because CapEx is so high, whether it's the factory or the hotel. Yeah. FMCG, the distribution cost, brand building is so high. So when I apparently Kellogg's and PNG take close to seven, eight years to do market research. And when they get into a market, they have a very long-term vision and they know it pays off. Yes, uh, typically discounting is far more disciplined. And that is some one of the bad things we've learned from China where uh, you know we are willing to lose money even on a variable cost basis it's not a good thing can we put into place uh, things like anti-predatory pricing it's already there there's a press note which says you can't do it but there are hundred ways to circumvent it so that that's what's happening in this market right now where unfortunately money power uh, is money capital is being used as a competitive asset and that becomes a little sad because that vitiates against the startup who by definition doesn't have too much money. So that's a little unfair. So when you say level playing field, and a while ago we were discussing about that. Yeah. Uh, are these the things that, that you mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you closer home to our sector. Um, service tax and just tax regime, I know it's changing uh, as we speak in the next couple of days, but the reality is that some foreign companies can get away by selling to Indian consumers, because the internet has no boundaries, not having a physical infrastructure here or selling out from an outside location and getting away with taxation. So they're actually, you know, escaping it. Whereas technically it's a deemed PE, permanent establishment, and they must pay tax. We've already taken this up with the government and I'll continue to do so. Secondly, and, and similarly, the, this can happen in other fields too. The other day, Nokri uh, uh, Sanjeev was sharing with me LinkedIn, because they, they do most of the sale through Ireland, doesn't have to pay this tax. So it's unfair for guys here. And in many sectors, that's the case. 
two factor authentication which obviously becomes adds friction mm-hmm. it's a good thing but it adds friction mm-hmm. but foreign companies can uh, obviate that they are not doing that because again the servers are outside and they don't need two factor authentication and they can they can also store and pass over credit card details and charge a card when the card is not present technically that's not allowed so this is we are being disadvantaged indian companies and we are we are trying to take that up uh, at from at at all levels because uh, you know there are various ministries involved out here so i th- i think the government needs to uh, pay heed to that and to set the record straight out there just just give us level playing field i think indian companies can compete with the best in the world it's not really protectionism what you mean is level playing field. yeah I, i i you know honestly at a philosophical level i think it's wrong to ask for protectionism only for one reason most of the indian companies the majority of the capital is anyway foreign now whether it is 80% or 100% that's you're playing with numbers so i i think it's a little unfair to ask for protectionism you want the capital but you want the protectionism that i think is unfair of course indian ecosystem will gain more when an indian company does well here because when let's say uh, a chinese company does really well money comes back to the chinese ecosystem and then typically a chinese entrepreneur who's successful will go out and fund a bunch of small chinese companies right because that's why he's not going to come and start funding no. in india that's not going to happen similarly bezos and company will reinvest and plow back money in in the us he's not i don't see bezos coming and doing angel investing out here that's not going to happen so there's a very strong argument for helping indian entrepreneurs succeed because they were they are the first guys who are going to invest in india which has happened if you look at the let's say the five or the 10 largest indian startups on in the internet space all the uh, founders would have invested in maybe collectively 2 300 startups in the country now that's only happened because they've done well so i think we have to keep that in mind and th- there is a good reason to help indian companies succeed and definitely not to load the dice against us clearly point well made uh, <clears throat> the other thing i want to understand from you is indian consumer itself like i think you been s- like serving this indian consumer for really long time in the internet space uh, there are questions about uh, bank per, per buck or you know the profitability mm. uh, it is tough uh, and and the last mile all those things uh, on on one hand and then it it is kind of uh, an occult in many ways right <laughs> uh, so how do you i mean in your experience the way you look at a typical online indian consumer how do you sketch that consumer and because that's where the battle seems to be headed now have you know we kind of passing through the phase of okay early euphoria and funding yeah. now people are realizing that you can't discount forever so yeah. the real battle is now for consumer so what how do you describe uh, no and i i'm glad that sanity is coming in all <laughs> sectors but i can tell you it's not there everywhere i mean it's coming in most sectors not there everywhere because there are still some very large and uh, dare i say irrational investors who are willing to bet huge sums of money to succeed but unit economics are very important even if you are in the negative zone relatively the way to measure yourself week on week month on month is are you getting better are your unit economics getting better so at least you're moving in the right direction from a consumer <coughs> point of view or consumer lens the way we look at our consumers is we just stack them up you know mentally we let's just for the sake of convenience say there are four quartiles so the top quartile of consumers are those who actually value convenience and service mm-hmm. and they will not budge no matter what 
they're saying, listen, these discounts, this thing, I'm sure there's a scam. I'm sure there's, you know, something, it's too cumbersome. It's not for me, this cashback and all. I just want to work with a company I trust. And that's the way we look at it. And we've seen that behavior. And I'm not saying strictly a quartile. That could be 20%, it could be 30%, it could be 25%, but just let's say four quartiles, for the sake of uh, discussion. Four quarters, four quartiles, okay? So Q1 is your best quartile on top, which are people who value service. All entrepreneurs who know that they can, they can crack, can build better features and can take care of this consumer should focus like a laser on this quartile. They should say, listen, let me give everything to this customer so that he's, he or she is not going away because there's a better service somewhere else or a better feature. They might go away uh, for you know that, but they're not going away for price to a certain de degree. Obviously, something's available at half the cost. Everyone say, really, wow, let me look at that. But they want to be loyal to a brand. They want to grow because they they attach a lot of value to brand, reputation, and brands that care. In our own lives, when we look around, we keep going back to certain brands for no matter what we do, what we eat, what we wear, what we uh, you know uh, like to do in our free time. Just look at all these things. Why do you go back to PVR for your movies and not someone else. He's saying, yeah, comfortable, good, everything, you know, food, the whole experience. Why do you go back to, uh, you know, Starbucks? Why do you pay double the cost for a coffee when you could get that? You're saying, yeah, I like the overall experience. Again, some customers, some customers say, are you crazy? It's too expensive. I'm very happy to go to a cafe coffee day. I think it's equally good. But there's a distinct customer. If both are next to each other, one will go to Starbucks, one will. The second quartile is, again, people who value customer service, who value the experience, but beyond a certain point of discount, they're willing to go. You should, again, care for that consumer a lot. The next two quartiles, the last quartile, Q4, is best price. I don't care about anything else. It's price, price, and price. I will spend half a day to get the best deal, whether I have to game the system, whether I have to set up 10 email IDs, whether I have to get cashbacks here, move this. I will do but I will find the best price. No point caring for that consumer because that consumer has no loyalty. Their loyalty is to the best price. Q3, you can think about it. How much you want to do, how much you want to discount, you'll find some. So I, I think that's the way to look at consumers. That's the way we do it. And if you were to look at India market, which of these quartiles accounts for the most? How do you, how are they? You know, in every, in every market, there is clearly uh, this kind of segmentation. It's just relative. Mature markets also, it's not like people don't care for price. They do. But over time, people gravitate towards a more reliable service. Over time, that's what happens. Over time, because over time discounts are not sustainable. So why do you stay? Why has Amazon become like the de facto go-to in the US? It's not like there aren't others. There are lots of others where you can do shopping. People don't know. Why has eBay lost the race relatively? They might be doing okay. Why? What happened to Yahoo? They had shopping too. I mean, people are saying like, what happened? And the offline world, why is Best Buy doing so well? Best Buy seems to be doing well. You know, why did Whole Foods, where did they come from? Why did they do? Now, suddenly everyone knows Whole Foods because Amazon's buying them. But no one knew Whole Foods here. But in the US, people had started gravitating there saying they get it. And were moving away. Now, they, But there's always a Walmart customer. Walmart says cheapest price. But that's not exactly what Whole Foods says at all. They say best quality. So it's a very different uh, customer that you're reaching out to. So you should know. Starbucks knows very well they're not the cheapest. But they're saying, I'll give you the best experience. I'll give you the best coffee. Some might debate that. But good coffee, great food, great ambience. And so I think you have to be very clear what your proposition is and then pick your consumer. Now, some company might come out and say, I want to do a Walmart. I'm going after Q4 and Q3. 
I'm not trying for Q1 and Q2 because that position's taken. So then you have to ensure that your entire cost structure is yeah. made in that way. So, but how do you characterize an Indian consumer with this? Lens? So early stage, new economy, people tend to obviously attach more value to price. But we are seeing interesting changes. We are already seeing people who are very, very, very loyal. And with mobile, you can get very good cohorts because you know so much more about consumers, starting from what phone they're using. Mm -hmm. And that itself uh, is helping us. So we are very focused on Q1 and Q2. Uh, with our new brand, uh, GoIBibo, I think we also make a play into Q3. Mm -hmm. Q4, I've told everyone, just forget about it. Not worth it. It's just completely a waste of time because they're just going to go for the best price. They don't care what the brand is. <laughs> okay. On a more final note, uh, the other aspect of organization building and uh, which gets talked about a lot is creating workplaces and when it comes to uh, equal opportunity when it comes to uh, you know topics of sexism and and so on uh, what has been your journey as an entrepreneur in building organization or a workplace uh, that is world class i mean if you look at what's happening in silicon valley now and a lot of those things so one of my questions to uh, entrepreneurs around here is that why founders don't take public stands in when it comes to topics topics sure. like these sure. so what has been your journey with these yeah things? so the philosophy has been actually pretty straightforward uh, firstly i think all cultures are a reflection of uh, uh, the the personalities and the way uh, uh, you know the founding team really is because that's really what you seek to build out so if you are built in a certain way that's your dna you will willy nilly end up building an org which is a reflection of that uh, I think we like to keep it very straight, very simple, very transparent. Uh, and we have some pretty, uh, I think, clear no-nos in the company. Uh, we are doing a lot of work on diversity beyond gender also. So gender was the obvious one. Sure. Uh, uh, while there could be some challenges, but I think you have to be very clear internally how you want to look at it, even when you have, uh, you know, a classic one comes up when um, young girls join you and they're putting in, you know, long hours, but then they're married and then they get into maternity. How do you deal with that? And, you know, do you welcome them back or do you not? And, you know, we really want to be an organization that cares because it's probably one of the most beautiful natural processes. And how can you ignore that? At home, you think it's a great thing, but you can't stand up in office and say it's not a good thing. Of course, they have special needs and we should be ready to give them those special needs and special comforts, etc. and welcome them back. I think that's very important. Um, I think diversity beyond. So we have gone out of our way over the last few years uh, to actually try to make a workplace where people with disabilities can actually work comfortably. And I, I think we are encouraged by our numbers. They are growing and all kinds of disabilities. And we want that to be fair. And actually, there's a win-win out there. Because if you give the right job to that person, the level of loyalty that you're going to get and sincerity you're going to get, I don't think you'll get from a uh, person without disabilities. <laughs> so there's a clear win-win. You just have to find the right fitment. And we are very open. We are actually quite active in that forum now doing stuff. So yeah, I think we'd like to be a place which is, you know, we have been featured very high on the top with great places to work, take a lot of pride in that. But I don't think we want to stop that. And I believe it's uh, both can coexist. Mm -hmm. So what's happening in the West today and in some companies out here, people say, hey, if you're not fiercely competitive and you know take no prisoners approach, then you can't win in this crazy game. I beg to differ. I, I think you can. I think organizations are nothing but people. Mm -hmm. And if your people aren't happy, how are you going to compete and make customers happy? Mm -hmm. 
and uh, if you get to your goal uh, uh, you know with maybe 5% more time because that's what it will come sure. down to again it's a marathon it's not a sprint so it doesn't really matter who are you you know you're running this not you're not competing with someone else you're actually achieving certain goals for yourself and over time consumers will again move to better companies and better companies will be built by more excited and motivated and better employees so we like to build a really open culture uh, we are going through our own very interesting challenge in that direction because of the merger yeah so everyone's different and you know we've we've learned a lot of new things from the companies that we have merged with and a lot of things we think we are uh, you know uh, uh, being able to now transfer that culture so we are trying to build a new culture which is the best of both um and uh, you know i saw a tremendous bias for action in goa bibo and maybe somewhere along the way we we lost some of that so we are very excited about getting that back but then we had built i think a real org with the uh, ability to absorb top quality people and let them flourish out there and so i think we can actually transfer some of that so i i think it's a bit of that so which is which is exciting for me it's personally very challenging and very ins- inspiring actually so it keeps you going all the time and that's why i was telling you you're so busy there's never a dull moment here final uh, final final question sure final, um, final. <laughs> uh decade out uh, view when it comes to make my trip and what you are building decade from here yeah and wow. and another question uh, is uh, is about uh, the next leader and uh, as an entrepreneur how do you deal with that question and uh, this whole thing about uh, founders mentality and letting things go so it's a great question yeah so a decade out's a long time i think i stopped thinking in decades but i can think probably in four year and five year plans that's sure. what we do uh, but i can tell you like in f- four years from now i think we we definitely want to be that company uh, which is chosen as the top of the mind not by just 20 25% people but i'd like to say 50% so the top two quartiles where people like you know this is household brand the most trusted brand as i often times say my mission statement is very simple i i would love every customer to be a brand ambassador so that's when i will rest where people say every customer is like that and i think there are companies who have achieved that people say who and they say maybe maybe only apple and maybe only tesla and i said no i think apple's of course a great example i think it's beyond that i i i think amazon today has probably achieved that in the us yeah and i'm not saying every customer will go but every customer's got to be delighted right so if if a customer is not at the minimum happy satisfied then there's a problem so we have to achieve excellence at scale which is damn tough it's it's non trivial but we're working towards that forever innovating forever being able to give consumers something they don't expect and pleasantly surprised and say wow this is great yeah. so i'd love to be there in that place i don't set targets for ourselves uh, in terms of uh, financial targets yeah. because uh, i mean they can percolate down we obviously have business plans and we obviously have uh, responsibility to our public investors but at a very philosophical level you can't put a number to it i can't say oh i'm going to be happy when we are 10 billion in valuation what does that even mean i mean that could overnight it could become 10 and overnight it could go back to 8 and this thing that's you did nothing wrong so i think i'd rather uh you know have more aspirational goals than than sheer numbers and say okay i want uh yeah i i i think you can say that yeah i'd like to have 300 million indians transacting with us in four four years time and i think it's possible because 300 million people can afford to buy something from us whether it's a modest yeah. bus ticket rail ticket air ticket i think we have that kind of buying power but i would 
like to choose quality over quantity. Sure. I'd rather have 200 million who are happy and delighted than 300 million out of which 10% or 20% are not happy. Sure. That I think is a disaster. So that would be one. I think letting go is something one needs to keep at the back of your mind at all points of time and you've got to figure out who's the best guy for the job. I think just before we started this, you, you said you've got on board someone really good who you think would make a better editor-in-chief. Uh, I'm very cognizant of that and I'm very happy if uh, we are able at some point of time I feel that listen I'm not the best guy to lead this I'd still like to be involved and I think some very smart companies have done this beautifully right from Microsoft to Google uh, to, to Facebook I think they did it very smartly where the founder said what am I best at and perhaps I've reached a scale where I need someone else to lead this I'm fortunate I have a really really good team around and some very scalable leaders. So I'm hoping we'll find that uh, from within and we won't have to seek out because seeking out always has its own complication, not easy. So yeah, uh, you know, cognizant and also have a good board where we have enough independents who have only one, their, uh, you know, one thing uh, for paramount for them is what's best for the company. Sure. True independence. And they will be the first ones to say, hey, listen, you know, maybe it's not just uh, about numbers not being met. Maybe leadership is the key. So I'll be the first guy to take that feedback. Thank yeah. you, man. Godspeed. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. Thanks Thank a you. lot, man. Thanks Thank so you. much.